Lord Jesus, we take this moment to engage with you. We take this moment to tune out every other voice, to tune out every other thing or person attempting to gain our attention. And we set aside this moment to allow your word to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Not only that you would change us from the inside out, but that you would encourage us, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit and the, and the power of your word. I pray that you would give me the, the ability this morning to speak the words that would be anointed by you and that would find a resting place in our spirits and that your Holy Spirit would speak loudly to us today. Pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, continuing our series in the Psalms. Uh, this is, I may do this every summer for a while. I don't know, because it takes us a while to get through 150 Psalms. But, uh, we're, we're obviously not going necessarily in sequential order. Uh, today we're taking up Psalm 27. If you want to go ahead and turn and you see on the screen, I've entitled this, My Shelter and My Refuge. Um, uh, this is a psalm that deals with God being our shelter. Last Sunday, we finished up a two-part series on Psalm 23 with God being our shepherd. And today, David moves into, and you can tell as you, you can tell as you read this psalm, you, if I didn't tell you David was the author, you could you could figure that out by seeing the Psalm 23 and then the voice in, in Psalm 27. And most of your Bibles will say right at the top, a Psalm of David. Uh, but he's talking about God being our shelter uh, and being our refuge. Uh, we, we find our way to security. I notice one of the songs used the word security. We find our way to security in worship. Now, I hasten to add, and we'll talk about it again, we're not just talking about singing, or we're not just talking about public worship. There's a there's an entirety of our life involved here. Now, getting together in public worship and singing, and David will actually address that before we get through the psalm, getting together and singing and worshiping God has extremely high value. Psalm 145 talks about singing to the congregation and singing the truth to one another. But we we find our security in that place of worship that, that we're talking about, the entirety of worship. And he will talk about as we seek God's face, he provides direction and instruction to us as we as we let him be our shelter. And then David finishes up the psalm by dealing with the fact that our hope in God is realized in the here and now. We used to talk about everybody wanting the, the sweet by and by, and, you know, the older I get, the more the sweet by and by is sweeter. Um, somebody wants the password. Here it comes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then I heard somebody say, well, I, I, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick around and deal with the nasty now and now. And uh, sometimes we sang about our troubles will end one day, but until then we're going to stand. And uh, I don't really like songs that focus on the nasty now and now, but that's where we live. 
We live in the, in the world of, of humanity, and we live in the world of trials, and it's just part of our inheritance that we deal with. But even in the midst of the nasty now and now, we can find hope in God, we can find salvation in God, and we can live this life in this earth now in Him. And David te- teaches us that in this psalm. Uh, psalm 27, if you wouldn't mind standing while we read the Scripture, uh, and I'm going to read, obviously, the entire psalm. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You recall Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness or death, I will fear no evil. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident. Everybody say confident. One thing, I think I'd be asking more than one, but this is probably some total of everything. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. And he will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up, not later, now, above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices With shouts of joy. There's public worship right there, saints. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God. Of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe, or I would have believed, or I fainted to believe, some of your versions will say there, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. That's the nasty now and now, by the way. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Lord God, I ask that you would read, uh, that you would add your blessing and understanding to the reading of your word and that your Holy Spirit would minister to us through your word today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are my light. And my salvation. It's interesting that he says, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then he says, you are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He addresses the issue of fear twice, just like he did once in Psalm 23. Recognizing that God is the only source of light we have. God is the only source of salvation Recalling and remembering that when we talk about salvation, we are talking about more than the born-again experience, although, my goodness, that's the best thing that happened to any of us. But it's our entire life 
that God saves us from ourselves and saves us from from the effect of sin and saves us from having to give in to our flesh all the time, saves us from the attacks of the enemy. Salvation is lifelong. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, there's a rhetorical question there because the answer is obviously no one. Nothing should we be fearful of and in fear. He uses parallel declarations here to give us the premise of this psalm. And the premise of this psalm is that he is our light. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold, our fortress, our refuge. Some of your margins will say there. He is the one in whom we find safety. I'm not talking about religious exercise. I'm not talking about religious activities. I'm talking about a personal relationship with a personal and living God where we communicate with him on a regular basis through prayer, meditation, and remembering that prayer and meditation not only includes our speaking to God, but God speaking to us. Sometimes we need to uh, be quiet long enough to listen to what God wants to say to us. And most of the time in that still small voice. And he says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. I want to remind you right here. When we get to the New Testament, we see these words. The uh, video, midweek video this coming Wednesday, for those of you who haven't already looked at it, we'll deal with this. But he says to us, We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Phil Phil alluded to the fact that sometimes we want to get wound up at people. We want to get irate at people, and especially those of you who live lives in social media. People are always posting things that you don't like and get you all excited, and you wish you could jump through that computer or that phone and grab them around. We wrestle not, everybody say not, Not. against flesh and blood. If you want to, if you want to identify your adversaries, you, you have no further to look than the, than Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Those are our adversaries. And he says again, the, the theme of the first three verses is that regardless of the surroundings and the situation we find ourselves in. He says, I will be confident. I had you say that word. Confident. Regardless. How many, I don't want you to answer me, but how many of us can say, regardless, I'll be confident? Because we, we are moved by our circumstances. Don't, don't act like it's not true because it is. We are moved by what's going on in our lives, whether if we consider it to be good things, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. If we consider it to be negative things, we say, where are you, God? He said, regardless of what's going on around me, I will be confident in the first three verses is expressing to us his confidence in God Almighty. The word there in the Hebrew expresses a sense of well-being and security from having something or someone in whom to place confidence. It, it gives we, we have an object of confidence, our Father in heaven. We have an object 
of refuge. We have an object of shelter. And it's in Him. It's not in the religious things we do. It's not in just going to church and participating. Obviously, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're worshiping with us online, those of you at home. It is it, that. But it's way more than that. Far more than that. That we have a sense of well-being. In verse 4, he changed this just a little bit. He says, I, one thing I've asked the Lord, and that I'll seek after, that I may dwell in his house all the days of my life, gaze upon his beauty. And he begins to talk about the shelter of worship. A feeling of safety and security is found in the place of worshiping God. Now, while a sheep, going back to Psalm 23, while a sheep is always safe in the care of its owner, they are most calm when they can have a sense of that care. You add to that that a sheep who has gotten away from the flock and has gone its own way, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone our own way, and, got, and gone outside the bounds of where the shepherd is, finds themselves in a place of danger. But in that in that place, with our good shepherd, with our God, our shelter, in that place, we get a sense of his care for us, and calmness comes across. If you can't, if you don't have calmness in the midst of, of your catastrophe, I'll go that strong, I adjure you, I beg you, find that place that you can, you can find a place of, of sense of well-being in God that you can, you can see him as your shelter. Psalm 31 says, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men and you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. You know, most of the issues we deal with are the strife of tongues. I don't mean the gift of tongues. I mean the strife of tongues. I told you before, I think, my father-in-law always threatened. He said, I think I'm going to announce that next Sunday I'm, I'm going to preach on tongues. And then go to the book of James, which teaches us that no one can tame their tongue. The strife of tongues. But it says here, the key here is that we find cover in his presence. Remember that we have the ability, we have the wherewithal to practice the presence of God at all times. If you don't know how to do that, you know what I'm going to tell you. Get the book. Practicing the presence of God. He says, I'm going to seek, I want to, this is the one thing that I seek after. And that is that I would dwell, I would dwell in the house of the Lord. That I would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, the word beauty there is a word that really means pleasantness or favor. Now, I hope you're not, I hope you don't think that I'm being disrespectful to Jesus when I tell you that he probably was not a very handsome man. He said, boy, well, you, you stretching it, aren't you? Well, Isaiah 53 says he had no beauty. Go ahead, William. I sh- should have a verse for that. 
Okay. We have, and no beauty that we should desire him. I'm not saying Jesus was ugly. Of course, us men, sometimes we, we revel in our ugly. Going back to my father-in-law, he used to have this little fellow in his church. They're both in heaven now, so I can say the little fellow's name was Dallas Jackson. And my father-in-law would say to Dallas, this tells you how good friends they were, he'd say, Brother Dallas, I am so glad that you're a member of my church. He said, well, why, Brother Wilson? He said, because as long as you're here, I won't be the ugliest man in the church. <laughs> See, sometimes, guys, we, we, we have fun with that. Uh, it says, no beauty. The point is, we're not talking about outward appearance. What we're talking about is something that would be identified as pleasantness or favor. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 90, the same word is translated, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. I want to behold God's favor and his pleasantness to me. Dr. William K. in the 1800s said, all the beauty of the Lord is all that is engaging and gracious in his revelation of himself. I'm not opposed to Jesus being pretty. Well, I would be handsome. Let's say it that way. But what I want us to see is that David is not talking about, let's look and see how pretty God is. What he's saying is look and see how favorable God is, how much favor we have in God. Let's look and see the pleasantness of God towards us. Gaze upon. That means look longer. Because when we are beholding, you and I are beholding the favor and the pleasantness of God Guess what? We are not beholding the negatives of our life. To the degree that you can behold the favor and pleasantness of God in your life every day in the midst of fill in the blank is to that same degree that the negatives of life do not rule your life. I don't know about you. I can't do both at the same time. You may be more talented than me, but when I'm thinking about God being having being a God of favor and a God of pleasantness, I cannot at the same time start thinking about all the things in my life. My focus is on him. C.S. Lewis, I quoted him last week. I'll quote him again this week. He said, I suspect the poet of that song drew no distinction between beholding the fair beauty of the Lord and the acts of worship themselves. Acts of worship themselves. Because we, David is saying, I want to behold the beauty of God, the favor of God in the temple. I want to, I want to gaze upon who God is. And as long as I'm gazing upon who God is and who he is to me, then circumstances cannot govern my life. They can't get me down. They can't get me depressed. Because I got, I'm, I'm on him. It's when I start looking at the stuff is when I get depressed. By the way, I, I don't know where this came from. I hate even mentioning COVID-19 because everybody gets political about it. There's so many opinions, but I'm going to give you this opinion. Sometimes we act like God can't heal COVID-19. We think he can heal everything else. He can deal with everything else. He can protect us from everything else, but he can't protect us from a, from a coronavirus. I'm not telling you to run out and to have COVID parties and rip your mask off. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying 
don't, don't compartmentalize this stupid virus to the place that God can't touch it. Because he can and he does. That's extra. He says, I want to gaze upon the favor of God and inquire in his temple. Sorry, Sarah, I didn't mean to bring that up. (laughs) To inquire in his temple, to meditate, to seek with delight in his temple. What are you inquiring of? Of whom are you inquiring? When we inquire, when we meditate in his presence, we come with, as Don's song says, with expectation and anticipation. We come looking for God to say something or do something in us. Why would you inquire in his temple? Why would you meditate in his temple if you didn't expect that? And he says, while I'm in your presence, hide me in the day of trouble. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on as he's writing this psalm. There's obviously something going on. There's some big trouble of some kind that's brewing in David's life. We don't know exactly what it is. But he did the right thing, and he turned to God. He did the right thing, and he turned to God in the face of trouble. In the face of trouble. And he says in verse 8, 6, I'm sorry. He says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He, the, the other psalm says, my glory and the lifter of my head. Remember, some time ago we did a series on being elevated to God's purpose. And then we dealt with the issue and the fact that God, all, everybody say always, God always wants to elevate us. God is not a God who puts us down. God is not a God who desires to crush us. Now, he'll judge you, but his desire is not to crush you. But his desire is to lift you up, my glory and the lifter of my head. And he says here, my head will be lifted up. And I will offer in his tents, in his tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I want to tell you that this is public worship. But I want to make sure we understand, as I alluded to earlier, that worship is not a one-time or a two-time event. We're dealing with the matter of a life of worship. Is your life a worship to God? You say, well, I can walk around singing all the time. See, that's the way we think. We think worship is always singing. That's part of it. But when you dedicate your life to God, When you live your life as a sacrifice to God, that's worship. Remember, we get the word from an old English word, worth-ship. You live your life in such a way that God is worth the worth-ship. He's worth the worship. He is deserving of our not just our praises and worship. Thank God. Please don't stop that. But he's deserving that every moment of every day of every week of every month and every year that our life is given to him as a life of worship. Once again, to the degree, and I know we live in a fallen world, to the degree we can do that is to the same degree that circumstances will not govern and dictate our lives. Or how we feel. He says, 
Lord, you say, seek my face. I'm going to seek your face. What is God's face? What do we think of when we see seek God's face? His face is, for one thing, his identity, who he is. You want to know who God is? Go to Exodus 34. It's his character. When we see God's face, it's his character. It's his personality. It's God's glory. It's his presence. Seek God's face. James teaches us to come close to God, and God will come close to you. Remember, if you don't feel close to God today, guess who moved? Wasn't God. When I don't feel close to God, I know who moved. It's me. Where did I move to? I moved somewhere other than a life of worship. I began focusing on my circumstances. I began focusing on my situation. I began focusing on what people are saying or doing or not doing. But when I'm in that place of coming close to God, he comes close to me. To seek God's face is to see the essence of him, the essence of a person, who he is. Then he says, hide not your face. Well, that's kind of interesting looking. God, God says, seek my face. And then David says, I will seek your face. Don't hide your face. Well, what does he mean there? Well, he says it right in the next phrase. He tells us what he means. Uh, in verse 9, he says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. May you not be displeased with me. May you lift up your countenance, your face upon me. I beg you, don't just hear this as religious speak. Don't just hear this as stuff we say on Sunday mornings. But when we say God would lift up his countenance upon you, that's everything that God is comes with that. Everything that God becomes comes with that. Now, we got this little phrase here that that I'm sure when we read it, some of you scratched your head and said, how in the world... Can he say, my father and my mother have forsaken me? But the Lord will take me in. We, we know about Jesse. We know about David's family. Now, Jesse wasn't all that spiritually acute. But I don't think he ever forsook his son. What is, what is he talking about? Well, I'll let the pulpit commentary probably explains this better than anybody. It says, we are not to gather from this that David's father and mother had forsaken him. They were probably dead at the time of his flight from Absalom. What David means is that even if forsaken by his nearest and dearest, he would not be forsaken by God. The expression is proverbial. Compared, comparatively speaking to your earthly parents, they would have forsaken you. Another way of looking at that is that they left him. There's a, there's a translation there that says, my father and my mother have left me. In other words, they've said to him, okay, you're grown. You're on your own, kid. Now, I know some of us parents, when our kids get grown, we want to hold on to that rope. We want to hold on to that leash. I had a friend growing up. Uh, he was a fair amount older than me. And even even when he was in his 20s, his poor old mother dictated every step he made, every move he made, everywhere he went. He had to, anyway, it's kind of like Howard Sprague on the Andy Griffith show. But anyway, well, 
some of you know who that is. But sometimes, it, I think what he really meant was I, I came to a place that my father and my mother said, okay, go, go find your way. And when he found his way, he found his God, truly. He says in verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. It's interesting he uses the singular there. Does anybody's Bible have ways, plural there? I should have checked that out. He said, teach me your way, O Lord. See, our heart needs to desire more than just a bunch of rules. See, we, we want instructions. We want a list. Give me a list. I told you I had a guy when I was first started pastoring at the, the uh, sage old age of 22. Well, I started when I was 20, but this guy was 22. And he was old enough to be my dad. And he said to me, hey, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You tell Whatever you tell me, I'll do it. Just tell me. I said, I'm going to tell you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You got to figure that out yourself. He wanted he he was wanting to cheat what he wanted. He was lazy. Instead of trying to go to God and find out what God wanted, he's wanting me to go to God on his behalf. And of course, I was scared enough, dumb enough, stupid enough, or smart enough. You take your pick to not bite to not bite on that one. Why? Because we all have to learn God's way. Psalm 103 says, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. What would you rather want? What would you rather know? God's ways or his acts? Would you, would you rather know how, who God is, how he thinks, or would you rather just see what he does? There's nothing wrong. There's no, there's no criticism at all in the Bible of Israel learning his acts and what he does and what he did for them. But it seems to be that the, the better place is for us to do desire to know God's ways. And you still know his acts, but I want to know his ways. You can see what he does, and you're not going to necessarily learn how to live. But if you know his ways, you're going to know how to live your life. Teach me your ways. Lead me on a level path. Lead me in a life that's plain. Lead me in a life that's pleasing to God. Lead me, Lord God. And then in verse 12, he says, Don't give me up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have risen. They breathe out violence. Back to your adversary is not flesh and blood, but Peter writes, uh, in First Peter five eight, you probably heard this recently. Your adversary, your adversary, the devil. Just in case we don't understand, we don't get it. Peter makes sure we understand that our adversary is the devil, and he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your adversary. Yeah, I know people make you mad, and I know people sometimes do oppose you. And, you know, if you've been around long enough, you're going to, you're going to have that happen. And, uh, I know that a lot of pastors deal with that. People, you know, slicing and dicing with their tongues. But th- those are not your adversaries. 
that person on Facebook that posted what you didn't like, that person that didn't like what you posted, that's not your adversary. Shall I continue? Those are not your adversaries, but the, your adversary is the devil. Of course, I always said Facebook's the devil, so we have to do something with that. I don't know. But your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for an opportunity, looking for a place. Paul said in Ephesians, do not give the devil a place. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give him a weakness. And then he finishes up the psalm in verse 13 when he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He says, wait. And then what he says again, wait. Now that's a clue. There's a clue there. Wait. Wait. Now some of us don't do well waiting. He said, I I need to see the goodness of the Lord in the here and now. I need to see God's I, I don't need to I don't need somebody to tell me no, just wait till you get to the sweet by and by. You'll see the goodness of God. You will see the goodness of God better than you've ever seen it in your whole life. But David said, I need to see it now. It's like You've heard the story about the little girl crying to go to sleep, and she calls for her mommy, and, Mommy, can you come in here? And she said, I'm afraid. She said, well, no, you, you don't need to be afraid. Jesus is he'll be here with you. She's, and the little girl said, well, that's good, Mommy, but right now I need Jesus with some skin on. I need him now. I need something now. David said, I, I would have fainted. Some of your verses say, I would have fainted. I, I wouldn't have been able to handle it if I couldn't have seen the goodness of God now. Now, I know some of you are dealing with some dire circumstances today. Some of you are dealing with some situations that you do not have answers to. Sometimes we spend too much time trying to find answers to questions that we can't answer instead of leaning into the answer, God himself. Wait. He said, wait and take courage. Do you understand that courage is something we take? It doesn't just fall on us and hit us in the head. Courage is something that we we make a choice. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to keep going through that fear. And when when we say fear no evil and we say of whom shall I be afraid, uh, that's not to, to say that we're never afraid of anything. But I'll tell you what, I will not let fear govern me. I will not let fear dictate my life. I will not let it paralyze me even though I may be afraid of something. And when you take courage, take it. Take courage. Grip it. Hold on to it and declare regardless of whatever it is that's encamping around me right now, whatever it is that has encircled me right now, I'm going to take this courage. That's the ability to stand. Take courage 
And then he says again, wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait. We have our own timetables. We have our own calendar. We have our own clock that we expect God to move. Can I tell you, and you've heard me say it, but I'll tell you again that God, in moving in your life, God is never late. Everybody say never. God is never late. He's rarely early, though. Truth is, he's never early. God's timing is perfect, even though we don't see it. God's timing is impeccable. The only way you can see that God's timing is impeccable is not in the midst of what you're going through right now, but is to look back and start counting what God has done in your life down through the years. And thank God those of us who lived a little longer, we got more to count. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And if we do that, if we address and begin to enumerate Every time God has come through in our past, we'll find the, the, the wherewithal to do it now. Because you don't see it now. All you got now is questions. But you look back, you say, yeah, he did. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, I believe this is the first time in my life I've ever quoted him. <laughs> he said, the mills of God... Grind slowly. God never, God never gets in a hurry. God never, God doesn't use the word expedient. In the Western world, we live in expediency. I want patience and I want it now. God doesn't think that way. The mills of God grind slowly so that we can look to him with a complete trust and dependency. A complete trust and dependency. Tim Hansel in his book, Holy Sweat, said one day while my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell, hey, Dad, catch me. Not what you wanted to hear. I turned around to see Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, hey, Dad. He said, I became an instant circus act catching him. We both fell to the ground. For a moment after I caught him, I could hardly talk. He said, when I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation. Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? In, in my vernacular, it would have been, why would you be such a knucklehead? He responded with remarkable calmness. Don't miss that. 
remarkable, the boy, not the daddy. Sure, because you're my dad. Yeah. Why could I jump like that? Because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based in the fact that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to the hilt because I could be trusted. Isn't this even more true for a Christian? Isn't it even more true for us? That we can live our life to the hilt because God can be trusted. If your God can't be trusted, you got the wrong God. You need to get another one. And I'll finish with this quote from G. Campbell Morgan. Morgan, which is, has some great stuff. He's written great stuff. I'm giving you this one on the screen. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. How many of you know that when we're in that time, we just soon go to sleep? Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Keep doing what you know to be doing. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Keep doing what you know to do, but keep your ears peeled. The same thing, I guess, as eyes. I don't know. But keep your ear out there. You ever seen these cartoons when somebody's ear comes off of their head and stretches into the next room? If you can do that, would you show me? But when we're done, but anyway, he said, first, activity under command, and second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. That's waiting for God. That's waiting for God. But you can't, you cannot wait for God unless you trust Him. David gives us this psalm to teach us that we can be confident and we can trust God. And in the midst of that, we continue a life of worship that brings us to a place of security and a sense of security in Him. And it is in Him. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that by Your Holy Spirit, You have spoken different things to each one of us. You have been saying things to all of these here and all of those who are at home worshiping with us today. You've spoken different things to each heart, to each person, because of where each one of us are in our journey. We do know that as you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself to us. And in so doing, you've drawn us closer to you. Lord, we read a great psalm about your servant David seeing you as his shelter and his refuge, his stronghold. And how that we can be, we can reside in that stronghold by living a life of worship. Our focus would always be on you and your worship. Lord, help us as we go about our business, we go about our daily activities. Help us to carry this word with us. Help it to become part of us and to remind us in those moments when we have forgotten, in those moments when we are being uh, tricked or attempted to be tricked by our adversary. 
Remind us of who he is and who you are, Lord Jesus. And we continue to pray, Lord Jesus, as you did when you were here on the earth. We continue to pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth like it is in heaven and that you would use your church to be the vehicles by which that is accomplished. We're still here, Lord. We're still here for a reason, and that reason is the mission that you began, and we now continue. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit this morning, and I pray that you would imprint into our hearts, minds, and spirits this morning that which you have spoken to us and lest we forget in that day. Thank you for this time together with God's saints. I thank you for sending us out back into the marketplace with a message of the good news of the kingdom of God. Pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, God bless you. You're dismissed.